This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome. Thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. But right now, if you have any questions or concerns about the frost damage to your plants or anything else, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And, Megan, before you take off, I just want to say you have a very trendy mask, but you were always, like, fashion-oriented. So that You think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about your judge of fashion. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've a got bit. a little, what, do I have my tie-dye one on? Yes. Or my spin art. It looks like spin art, I oh, think. Oh, it is? Yeah. I don't know the difference, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're such a good judge of fashion. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, you look very trendy. It's nice Thank to you. see you. Thank you. Good to see you. How are the kids doing through this craziness? They're good. And, and I'm here today, which is good. Right. Yeah. It's good to be around adult-sized people. <laughs> you didn't bring the kids with you? No, I didn't. Wow. No, left them at home with Dad. <laughs> well, great. Well, thanks. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yes, it is Saturday morning, and we can talk about whatever you care about going on in your backyard, your front yard, your side yard. That specialty garden space, oh, it's really soggy, and I wanted to grow herbs in it. Nope, you're not going to be able to do that. The taste of the tropics. How'd your houseplants do outside? Uh-oh. <gasps> that Mike Miller on the garden hotline told me I didn't have to worry about it. Now there's some damage. Ooh. Well, what is potting mix? How to improve your soil? Should you be looking for bugs and diseases and everything else? Well, to use the information I'll share with you, and hopefully it'll help you solidify your options. But, of course... The final judgment of action to be taken is going to be on your shoulders. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, car, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player is Alex. He's the producer. He answers the phone. So if you call, and all he needs is your first name and where you're calling from. He doesn't need the question that you're concerned with or anything else because, uh, I have to hear it, and if he's hearing it, then I can't hear it, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994, and I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, homepage, that's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. And uh, today, after the show, I'm headed to St. Charles. I hope it's not raining because I always go, rain or shine, it doesn't matter. And a lot of times I've been to homes when it has been raining 
And let's say there's certain circumstances that are a lot more obvious during the rain than when it isn't nice and bright and sunny. But anyway, the Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. The Annie O.C. Albright Nature Playscape is under development. Tulips galore were blooming all over the place. Historic buildings, uh, lots of them, but this one... The World's Fair from the pavilion from the World's Fair. It's all happening at the zoo or the art museum or the Shakespeare Glen or the boathouse or the Muni or the history museum or the Kennedy Forest, the Probstein golf course, rain gardens catching the runoff down the streets, native and exotic plants spicing up views everywhere, speed bumps ensuring you're going to have more chances to see what's going on. The central fields, the jewel box, the science center, Creeks and streams and trails meander, lakes and ponds, stone outcroppings. Well, where on the earth am I on this Earth Day week? Earth Day was Thursday, so it's really earthy. Forest Park is probably the most earthy place in the metropolitan area from my perspective. And I didn't mention the ice rink and lots of other stuff going on there, too. But it is quite the fantastic circumstance, and... You know, hopefully everybody took some time, made a donation or whatever related to Earth Day because sometimes I think we forget and we don't really appreciate what we have to deal with and what uh, sometimes it's very frustrating, you know, getting around it. This is a second or third Saturday in a row that I have to be outside in the rain. Oh, no, I'm afraid I want to melt. But anyway, enough of that junk. So if you do uh, think about Earth Think about your, just step out in your backyard and take a look. Or step out or stand in front of a window and look out your windows and appreciate what we have because this has been one of the, as I've said several times over the last several weeks, one of the best springs I can remember. And these cooler temperatures have extended the bloom periods on lots of different kinds of plants. Dogwoods right now are just nothing but Breathtaking. The pinks and the whites both, and it's just incredible. Red buds are just about finished, but uh, some of the other things, it is just, uh, I can't believe. Some of the streets in the South City where I do take my walks and things like that, some of them have so many dogwood trees in bloom, it's just absolutely incredible. And the azaleas, too, are really looking quite nice. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, a little report from my uh, landscape. You know, last week was uh, kind of the tough few days with the snow and everything else. Um, I have several annuals, begonias. I have actually an annual, a sunflower family member, which is called Bidens. The genus is Bidens, B-I-D-E-N-S. Kind of amazing. I had to get that because it's just simply that name. But anyway, it's a nice sunflower, but it has very fine textured foliage. But I did have some damage to some of the plant material due to the snow sitting on it, I'm assuming. So I have some foliage damage and some damage to some of the flowers, depending upon the exposure and things like that. So when I told people that I wasn't going to cover my stuff, I didn't. And consequently, there is some damage. The plants are not dead. The root systems are still viable. I pulled a couple of the plants up 
out of the pots and just to kind of check the roots, they're fine. It's just going to be now recovery time, which shouldn't take too long, I wouldn't think. So I'll keep you posted maybe, or maybe I'll just get bored with talking about frost damage. But anyway, let's head over to Belleville and to Randy's yard. He is number one today. Hi, Randy. Hey. Hey, Mike. Yeah. Hey, um, daffodils that didn't bloom this year, what, what can you do? Not too much. In other words, they're kind of just... Mike, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> well, you could go ahead and try to fertilize them, but uh, next year when they, the foliage starts coming up, fertilize them, and you just got to try to build up the strength. But I don't know, uh, you know how many you have or anything, but uh, they do have a limited life as far as... Right. So that's um, kind of what you're probably looking at. I mean, I, I can dig. I can dig them up and see if they're, you know, if they're, if the bulbs are still firm. Right. Um, but I, I can't. Move, I shouldn't move them because I know some of them probably aren't getting enough sunlight. Well, that's you know that could be a factor. But how long have they been in the ground? Usually about. Oh man, yeah, pretty long. Yeah. So the old, the days of old, you can go to old neighborhoods where the houses are have been torn down decades ago. I'm exaggerating, but and you can still see certain bulbs blooming right. in those areas. But yeah. uh, kind of because so many are being sold now, they're they're sort of the growth in the production areas have been accelerated, and that kind of limits the life. So that's probably what you're experiencing. Okay. So, I mean, you can yep. fertilize them. Just leave the foliage, let it turn brown, everything else. Right. Do, put some fertilizer on them now and just wait and see what happens next spring. If they don't bloom again next year, then that's kind of it. Now, there's been people that said, you know, they just, they, there's haven't bloomed for several years and then all of a sudden they start reblooming again. I mean, that's a, you know, potential possibility, but uh, not so reliable, though. Now there's there's some that are in pretty large groups. Could there just be a lot of competition in there, or not really? Because I mean, when you pull, Mike, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you All have right. a great imagination, but when you look at the bulbs, if I mean, if pull, you know, I mean, dig up a couple, see if they're firm. If you want to, I would not dig them up until the foliage starts turning brown. Though, dig them up and actually cut the foliage off. And then just store them till next fall and replant them then in a different area with a, you know a more vibrant soil with a, you know, organic matter in the soil. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mike. Sure. Yeah, I could uh, you know give you some kind of dancing under the full moon that kind of thing, and you, that will guarantee you're going to bloom or they're going to bloom. But no, that's not going to be the case. Anyway, Godfrey, Illinois, is where Lori lives. Hi, Lori. <laughs> Lori, are you there? I'm here. Okay. Yes. Hi, Mike. Hi. Hi. So I'm going to do the bad thing and ask another frost question. Okay. Um, we had some painted uh, ferns, and they were about they were up probably about three or four inches. We didn't cover them. They're very, very sad right now. Do I cut them off and let new growth come up, or should I just leave them and see what happens? You're talking about Japanese painted ferns? Yes. I mean, they're tough. They're durable. So it's a cosmetic damage, but they're going to put out some more fronds. Okay. Should I cut the dead ones off? No, or I would I... just I just leave them. I mean, if you okay. don't like looking at them, you can. But, I mean, with the fronds, there's probably not. I don't know how big the colony is or anything. But uh, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Okay. That's helpful. Thanks so much. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah, I've got a Japanese painted ferns myself. I have them planted with uh, coral bells, which have the purplish leaves. 
it's a nice combination. They saw no damage whatsoever. The perennial stuff that I have had no no cold damage, but I live in the city, and, you know, I mean, that's part of the deal. And also the Japanese painted fern and the coral bells and the hosta and things like that are underneath the mugo pine, and that probably offered an umbrella so they didn't have any kind of cold damage whatsoever. Let's head out to Ladue and go into Peach Yard. Hi, Pete. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, question about arborvitaes. Um, I've got a lineup of seven of them, uh, one of which in the middle decided to die. Mm. And I guess my question to you is, when I extract that, is it likely that I'm going to damage the roots from the, uh, the, the uh, arborvitaes next to them? Uh, how close are they planted? Yeah, the, the I would say the the uh, trunk of the 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 main branches they're probably a, a foot to eighteen inches apart. Ooh, you could certainly do some damage to the, you know some of the root system, but percentage wise, it won't be that much. It's going to be when you dig the if you're going to put a replacement in there when you dig the new hole, that's probably you're going to have more damage than you know actually or potentially adding to the damage of the root systems of the ones that are still existing. So you're just going to have to understand that that's what's going to happen. Now, they, are they in a straight line? Yes, they are. Now, can you offset the one that you're going to replace? I know that'll look a little odd, and some people don't like that. But, uh, I mean, you could offset it a couple feet. In other words, set it out a couple feet away sure, from sure. the other ones. Yeah, and I probably can't in this scenario. Okay. But I- Probably in hindsight, I probably should have done that when I planted them originally. Yeah, so. do a zigzag pattern as opposed to a yeah. straight line. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you you told me what I needed to hear. Yeah. I appreciate it. And I, you know, how what one one more question? How old are they? Oh golly, I bet you they're they're north of ten years old. Okay. So what's going to happen too is when you pull out the one that's dead. Then also, because they've overshadowed each other, the inside of the two that are on one on each side of the one that you're pulling out is probably going to have a hollow hollow spot in the center. You know, yeah, as a and, and those don't stand any chance of growing back. No, over they time don't. If I left it, yeah, okay. right. All right, very good. Well, All right, I sort of kind of told me what I was expecting, but I appreciate the the insight. Thank sure. you. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Bye bye. And it's a, you know it's an unfortunate circumstance because uh, planting things close together, obviously screening or whatever it happens to be, and when one goes downhill, I was at a house the other day and uh, actually out in you know near Cottleville, and they had some arborvitae put together, and one was leaning because of light over the sidewalk, so the subdivisions came and told them you got to take this thing out. Because it, even though he was pruning it and everything else, it really kind of made it look ugly because when he pruned off the green to push it back off, you know, aesthetically getting and physically back off the sidewalk, then consequently the interior of the arborvitae was showing real ugliness. And I said, yeah, that's very true what's happening. But re- take a look at the one that's right behind it in this row. And when you take this one out because you've been ordered to by the subdivision, Look how brown the interior of this one's going to be. The you know the the next one to it. So that's one of the sort of the bad bad signs of putting things too close together. And how about uh, let's head out to Gloria's yard. Hi, Gloria. Hi. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Um, I have to take out some shrubs that have really overgrown and 
half dead on the inside, and I want to replace it with some flowering shrubs. It faces north, and wondering any advice. I was thinking of like Rosa Sharon, or um, but this is this is about twenty feet from the house, or um, you know lilacs or something. What any advice? Well, how big? I mean, Rosa Sharon and lilacs—they both get really pretty large. Yeah, this is. Uh, I'd say this is maybe 10, 15 feet uh, across where yeah. it's going to be taken out. Okay. So then also, is this a sunny location? Well, yeah, there's nothing nothing uh, behind it or anything like that. So How about over to, you know, overshadowing well, with trees and stuff? It's in, I'm sorry, what? How about tree branches no. shadowing from no, trees? Yeah, no, well, no trees for about... 10, 15 feet. Okay, so in other words, the reason why I'm asking is because Rosa Sharon and Lilacs both really want full sun all day long to do the best they possibly can. Yeah, all right, well, what what can you suggest that maybe isn't so? Well, how big do you do you actually need them? I would probably look at maybe some of the viburnum, viburnum varieties. Can you spell viburnum for me? Yes, V-I-B-U-R-N-U-M. There's all kinds of different, you know, viburnums. And they have flowers? Yes, they have flowers. Some of them are flowering now. Some of them will bloom a little bit later in the season. And then after the flowers, they get berries on them. And depending upon the variety, some of them get fall color. Some of them are evergreen, too. Oh, wow. Uh, Anything else besides the viburnum? What Uh, about the... Well, hydrangeas—they don't like full sun, do they? Uh, They—you know—some of the varieties do like, you know, prefer full sun, like the PG hydrangea. That's the one that blooms in the springtime. But uh, some of the varieties, like the oak leaf hydrangea, it can handle a shade circumstance. It can, you know, handle the sun both. So yeah, take a look at some of the varieties of uh, hydrangeas too. Okay, because I'd I'd love to see flowers instead of just. Greenery. I, it, uh, I, it, um, my kitchen window overlooks it, so I would like to have something nice to look at. Right. Well, that sounds perfect. Okay. All right. Great. Thanks, Mike. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah. I think we'll go ahead and take a break. So Tom, Ted, and Karen will talk to you when we come back from break. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks. Let's head over to Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Good morning, Mike. How you doing? Very good. Hey, listen, I, uh, I put in a, a ground covering called uh, Portalaca. It's like a rose moss. Right. And uh, I put in about 24 of them. Well, about three-fourths of them, they got fried really bad. Do you think those are coming back by any chance, or will I have to replant? When did you install them? I put them in about two weeks ago. Uh Probably I'd take, you know, go ahead. You can tell right where they are anyway. And just pull one of them up and look at the root system. But this is a perennial-type plant, so it's probably just the damage as a result of the above-ground growth. But the root system should still be viable, and they should produce some, as soon as things, you know, trigger the new growth potential, then they should start putting out some new growth. All righty. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yep. Good luck with that. And now let's go from Tom's over to Ted's yard. Hi, Ted. Hey, Mike. How are you this morning? I hope you don't have to repeat yourself on the frost issue, but I've got some uh, crepe myrtles that started coming up from the ground. Mm -hmm. And um, so now the leaves are all kind of crumpled and ugly. Will that continue to grow shoots uh, as summer moves along? Or 
hopefully I haven't lost those crepe myrtles. Oh no, it didn't get cold enough to you know to kill them. So they should. Okay. It's just you know it's aesthetic damage right now. But I'm assuming they've been in the ground for at least one full season and one full year. Yes. If that's the case, then there should be. I mean, it's aesthetic problems right now, but it's going to put out a new surge of growth for sure. Okay, perfect. And um, I've got some crepe myrtles that start budding on the existing. If I didn't trim it down to the to the ground, they start uh, budding on the existing uh, shoots, and then some crepe myrtles don't bud on the existing shoots and they start growing up from the ground again. Is that a different type of variety or is that just how they, I I just can't get rhyme or reason between the two. Yeah, it's probably, I mean, it could be variety because some of them, I mean, they are, you know, certain hybrids are going to do certain things a little bit differently, but for the most part, usually they're going to be able to produce new growth from this, you know, from the stems that were existing the previous season. But if okay. those, you know, have died off because of a genetic problem or genetic circumstance, then it's just not going to happen. So they still okay. bloom and everything's fine with them? Yeah, the ones, you mean the ones that are coming up from the ground right. or the ones that are blooming? Yeah, the ones that are coming up from the ground, work, uh, they, they still um, get pretty healthy. But I just, it, and, and so it, it, I, I get confused uh, in the fall if I should cut them back or if I should, uh, leave the the existing uh, dead stems because I I don't know which one I'm cutting. So, <laughs> but I've got another question for you. Sure. I've got like a purple, like a fungus type thing on some uh, limbs on an oak tree in my front yard. Is that what is that? Do you know what that is? It might just like be a, a lichen. Is it on the actual wood or is it actually on the foliage? No, it's on the wood. Yeah, so it's probably a lichen. And that's, you know, not problematic. Not problematic. Okay, good. Okay. I appreciate your help. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah, lichens, uh, I mean, a lot of times they're not necessarily purplish, but they can be like grayish and pale greenish and all kinds of different. And it's just kind of a symbiotic relationship between they're kind of a mossy type thing that just grow and people worry about them, but they don't really do any kind of damage to the plant material. Let's head over to Karen's yard now. Hi, Karen. Hi, Mike. Um, I don't know if I missed the boat on my hydrangeas. I have two endless summer hydrangeas, and I have not trimmed them, but um, I know that there's some leaf buds coming from the pre previous year's stems. Um, should I still cut those down below the green that's coming up from the ground or leave it alone? Uh, I'd probably just leave them alone. And just next year, remember to prune them before the new growth begins. I mean, you're probably okay. It shouldn't be any kind of problem because they are, I mean, ones are going to be blooming in the summertime. So if you want to, I don't know how many stems you have coming up, but if you want to kind of, so if you want to kind of have uh, just to see what happens, cut some of them back, like on the number of, let's say half of them on a shrub and then leave the other half alone and see what happens. Okay. So then you think in that case, maybe like the new growth will just take over and it will bloom right it may exactly. bloom right because okay okay and then the other question i have is um is it too late i have some two a couple of hostas is it too late to transplant them anywhere else in oh, the yard? No. they're just i mean they're they're not out fully yet by any means it's again it would be better to do it at the end of the season let's say in september and stuff when they start going downhill 
and the ground is mm-hmm. warm and they'll get you know reestablished. But no, you can still do it now. Oh, great. Okay, super. Thank you so much. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go from Karen's to Gus's yard. Hi, Gus. Hello. Hi. Um, what do you know about kiwis? Kiwi fruits? Yeah. Well, I know okay. I like to eat them. <laughs> Can you plant them here in St. Louis? No. <laughs> uh, if you nope. had a, maybe, uh, let's say, a, a giant greenhouse or something, you could do it. But no, they don't, they're not hardy for the outdoors. Well, they grow in, in New Zealand wild, I understand. Right. But that's a totally different climate than what we have. New Zealand and the areas where they grow don't have the weather that we do. Remember just a few days ago when it was uh, below freezing? They yeah. Can't, they can't take that kind of stuff. They're tropical fruit, huh? Right. Exactly. Okay. Oh, uh, when's, when's a good time to plant fruit trees? Uh, probably if you early in the spring would be ideal. In the fall is fine. Uh, we're probably, because of the way the weather has been and everything else, you probably still got a chance to get them in, but I'd get them in before, as soon as you possibly can, would be my, you know, if you're going to do it now or if you want to wait till fall, you know, then go ahead and, and plant them in September. That is crazy weather. <laughs> exactly. Okay, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, kiwis just don't, uh, you know, make it here. And then you say, well, you wouldn't think figs would either, but, I mean, there's fig trees, you know, in the Hill neighborhood, there's fig trees that are hardy varieties on the botanical garden ground, so you just never know. And now let's head to Centralia and go into Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Hi, Mike. How are you today? Very good. Okay. I have a question about a Japanese maple. I have uh, some relation that would like to... Her Japanese maple, which is about maybe it's fairly full, but not real tall yet. She's wanting to know if there's anything she could add to make it uh, become darker red. It's kind of a pale red right now. Uh, basically not. Some of the varieties will, you know, it's probably the hybrid. It may be okay. one. Has she had it for a while? Uh, they just moved in oh. and. But but it's it's about maybe knee high, and I'm about six feet tall. <laughs> so basically, what it is, a lot of the varieties will come out with kind of, in the springtime with kind of a purplish tint to them. But okay. then they're going to convert to a green for the entire summertime, and then they could give you a little bit of fall color. So it just depends upon the variety it is. And if she didn't plant it and she doesn't know, then there's nothing and nothing you can add to the soil that's going to change the color of the flower or the the foliage. Okay, and uh, I covered my strawberries with about an inch of uh, moist straw, so I'm okay on those. All right, very good. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. All right. Bye. Yeah. A lot of times when I, you know, me, I'm just too, I don't want to say I'm too lazy, you know, to cover the stuff. But and historically in the past when I've covered things, a lot of times when you take the covering off, you do damage to the plant material. So that's why I sort of recommended that uh, they, that wasn't necessary. Um, other things that you, uh, you know, that I had planted that weren't showing any kind of growth, that obviously got no damage whatsoever was uh, all my summer bulbs, my elephant ears, my cannas, and things along that line. And uh, so you just, you know, they were still below the ground, so nothing could have gotten damaged from that. 
One thing probably that got the most damage, I would say, uh, foliage-wise, was I used wandering Jews to cascade over the edge of the pots and put taller stuff in the center. Now, they're looking a little bit mushy, so I'm going to— but if you look really close to where they're, you know, going into the ground in the potting mix— you can see the, there's some leaves there that are not damaged whatsoever. or So that's just kind of the way it goes. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, this is the Garden Hotline. But anyway, uh, some of the other things that I have... That it got no frost damage at all. I grow dahlias from the tubers, the root systems, and stuff like that. Uh, no damage whatsoever. And, I mean, they were very near some of the other plants that did get some damage. So a lot of it was variety-wise as much as anything. But, I, you know, it was kind of surprising. I got a little bit caught by surprise, even though they said there was going to be some accumulation of snow. Some of the plants had, a you know, a half inch to three-quarters of an inch of snow on the leaves. And those are the ones that really got the you know major damage. But anyway, let's head over to Mary's yard. Mary, how are you today? I'm great. Um, just wanted to make a comment on the hydrangeas. I've got some 24-year-old hydrangeas mm-hmm. that are still blooming in my front yard. I live in Southampton, and um, I've had them for forever. And they've had some years where they take a rest and don't bloom, but where I might get one bloom. But this year I have what I, I joke with my family, I call it broccoli because they look like the buds, the tiny buds look like tiny heads of broccoli. <laughs> and um, and, uh, it, and it's always, we've got broccoli and we have dozens <laughs> of broccoli. And I was really worried about the frost, but they were still in their kind of cocoon and I had a little leaf damage, but but they seem all safe and sound in their little cocoon still. Um, but what I have found as far as trimming and pruning, um, if she trims half of the stem, she'll probably lose half her crop right. of, of mop hedge. But what I do at that point, if I haven't gotten a chance to get out and really prune early enough, what I tend to do to get the most uh, blooms is just um, I have long sleeves on, gloves, and, and glasses to protect my eyes because I get so zoned in. I'm afraid I'll poke my eye, but I just, I pull on the, what looks like dead wood. Um, They're often hollow. They look like straws Mm -hmm. and give them gentle pulls. And if they come out fairly easily, then they're dead. She can still prune it that way if she wants to get her maximum blooms this, this year. But that's, that's my personal advice. I only have one variety. I don't even know what kind it was. I bought it at Frank's nursery, which has been out of business for years in 1997. So well, when, when, does, when does your variety bloom? Um, well, this year it seems like everything's coming in early, doesn't it? Well, um, see, uh, but usually early, early June, yeah. early to mid June. Okay. Um, I use pine needles to make them blue, but sometimes when I haven't done it evenly, it looks like they're tie dyed. So there's pink, purple, blue. <laughs> it's kind of pretty that way. But right. anyway, that's what my late mom taught me to do is to use that to make the soil more acidic and get those beautiful uh, periwinkle blue blooms. Right. Well, perfect. Yeah, hers is an ever-blooming one, so, it, you know, hers is a little bit different, uh, you know, as far oh, as... Oh, those sh- endless summers. I have yeah. one of those in my backyard, and it's just kind of petered out. I treat it the same <laughs> as the others, but 
it has not been as durable as my cheap little 999 bushes from Frank's right. years ago. Well, great. Well, thanks, Mary. Greatly appreciate the okay. insight. And let's, uh, Mary, can you do it? Another Mary, uh, how are you today? Hi, Mike. Hi. I uh, listened to your um, story about how you um, put your tulip bulbs in pots. So I followed your direction and um, I put out four pots of tulip bulbs. Nothing has come up yet. And my question is, I guess, um, do you think it's, do you think I'm not going to see anything or should I just wait? No, (laughs) you're not going to see anything. If they haven't pushed up anything, either the exposure or anything else or the pots were too small and the bulbs got frozen. Some of my tulip bulbs did actually too. So uh, even though I have larger pots and everything else and make sure that I don't put them too close to the edge. But I would probably say, I, you know, I probably put 100 tulips in, in various pots, and I'd probably say a third of them did not. I mean, and I pull, I've already pulled some of them up, and they're mushy, so they just got frozen last winter during that spell uh-huh. when there was those 13 days that it didn't get above freezing. Uh, okay. I haven't dug around in there, so I'm not sure what condition they're in, but they were packed in there pretty tight. So, um, all right. Yeah, so. Thank thank. So can I, I guess, tr- wait and try them next year? Sure. If you uh, Well, you mean as far as these bulbs coming back? Yes, sir. Uh, chances are going to be very minimal at best. So what you okay. can do, though, is go ahead and, you know, dump the pots, check the bulbs out, see how if they feel at least a bit spongy, if they feel any kind of spongy at all, then just you're going to have to just throw them in the compost pile or just get rid of them. All right. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Sorry. I mean, that's okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> right. Sometimes things work and sometimes they don't. If, you know, certain winters, I have it where everything, every bulb, you know, comes through fantastic. And then sometimes it doesn't. It's just like with this crazy weather temperature wise here last week, we were basically going below, the, let's say freezing 32 degrees. And then one week later, we're going to be in the 80s. So that should, you know that fluctuation, and it's not the ideal circumstance for things in the ground or even in pots. But in the ground, there's better insulation than there is in the pots. I'd probably in the future put your pots. You want to make sure that they're exposed and they can get rain and everything on them. But maybe put them a little bit closer to the house, unless if that was the case, then it was just the exposure as much as anything. But. The ones that I had, I just put them out and, you know, put them in the, on the edge of the patios and everything else. And, you know, whatever happens, happens. So I just kind of, it's kind of a roll of the dice. Sometimes it's disappointing, but uh, that's just kind of gardening here in the metropolitan area. So anyway, if you do have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after the news. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, the Garden Hotline tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving that shortly. But right now, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And Megan, before you take off, are you doing any kind of gardening yet? Uh, I usually hold off. I clean up my beds and, you know, get all the uh, 
ornamental grasses cut down, uh-huh. you know, in March, right. right before they start to come out. But I usually, I've learned to wait ah. because of the funky weather that we get, <laughs> like we got last week, right? You're too smart. <laughs> well, I've learned my, learned my lesson the hard way. Uh, well, that's great because I know you're into certain plant materials and everything else. So that's great to hear. Yeah, I've turned my attention to herbs the last couple of years. Really? So I'm going to be planting more of those, but I'll wait a little bit before I do that. Yeah, that's perfect for people that don't like to fertilize and don't really want to do a whole lot of watering because they don't need a whole lot they're of They're awesome. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And they're pretty. And, and also the fragrance. Mm-hmm. Regardless. Well, I guess parsley doesn't really have any, but uh, most of them have some great fragrances. Making my own tea blends. Yes. Really? Lemon balm and bee balm wow. make a great tea, simple tea. Right. Yeah. So do you do any basil and make pesto or anything like that? No, I haven't tried that yet. Hmm. I had funny. a hard time. I had some purple basil. Is that was it? what it was this last year? I had a hard time with it. It got scorched by the sun a lot. Ah, yeah. So I need to find a different spot. Yes. <laughs> Great. Well, enjoy. Aren't you glad you got asked? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, folks. And thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant care up and downs and all arounds for annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. Speaking of water gardens, if you're planning on putting some uh, aquatic tulips, is that tulips? Water lilies. No. Water lilies. Uh Wait, uh, in theory, you're supposed to start doing it in May, but uh, you could probably get them in the ground uh, or in the pots or in the water gardens a little bit earlier, but uh, who knows? It's just a roll of the dice. And uh, I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Alex is producing, so when you call, he answers the phone. He just needs your first name and where you're calling from. And uh, I spend time doing landscape consulting during the week and on weekends both. Today, after the show, I'm headed out to St. Charles. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. That's where my phone number and email address is. You can contact me, and we can schedule a walk and talk where I share 40-plus years of experience as it relates to your home, landscape, designs, plant care, and maintenance, and everything else. And speaking of, this is kind of an anniversary for me. Back in 1969, only a few blocks away from where we are broadcasting from, there's a federal building. And in 1969, on this day, April 24th, my mother dropped me off about 8 in the morning, and that was my f- when I got inducted into the Air Force. So 52 years ago, I went into the Air Force. <sighs> and the interesting thing, too, Tracy's father was in the Air Force, and both of us ended up, not at the same time, obviously, but uh, stationed on Guam. And uh, his was certainly a different war than mine. And the interesting thing is, you know, I did air intelligence. So when the B-52s dropped their bombs, they took pictures. <laughs> then I analyzed the pictures. And then before we targeted, we set up the target spots for them. So it was just kind of crazy. And then when I wasn't associated directly with the war, the uh, sort of the air intelligence aspect, we were looking at industrial sites all over the world to see what they were doing, you know, and people making sure they weren't doing some nuclear bomb making and all that other kind of stuff. But anyway, so in 1969, I was dropped off at the federal building and uh, went inside and, and, and went into the Air Force. It was really quite the scene. The tip of the trial today goes out to 
say Operation Brightside, the Green Center Force Relief, and all kinds of gateway greening. All these organizations are really into the outdoors and really making it a much better place just in general. So on this week, basically, with Thursday being Earth Day, those organizations have done such a fantastic job here in the metropolitan area. Uh, certainly a tip of the trowel goes out to them. It's just unbelievable. And the majority of the work, now there are certain staff people that are part of the team, you know, year-round team. But the, a lot of the work, majority of the work is done by volunteers. And a tip of the trowel goes out to all the volunteers that help us make this a greener world just in general. So let's take a call or two before we take a break. And let's go to John Jard, and he lives in Crestwood. Hi, John. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. I love your show. Mike, we have a, a maple about 40 foot high, and the bottom part uh, comes out beautiful. It has the little helicopters and everything. The top part is very slow, uh, kind of sparse leaves and whatnot. Uh, is that a problem with the tree feeding? What, we, what would you recommend? Uh, are you talking about this year or this happens every year? It happened last year and this year. It may be a declining in the in the root system, just kind of in general, because this sounds like a pretty mature tree. But if it fully leafed out, finally fully leafed out, it just may be a relationship higher up. You know, the winds are you know colder, so the buds may be just a little slower to open. But if uh, like like I said, if last year it finally leafed out entirely, then I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. No, it never really did leaf out entirely in the top. Okay. Uh, it was it was uh, thin. So then what that means is the tree's kind of in a, a downhill slide a little bit. Okay. So, I so. mean, a tree of that size um, and maturity and everything else, fertilizing or anything like that is not going to really make all that much difference. What you can do is you can do some uh, uh, earth augering where you auger holes, deep root feeding, and auger holes and backfill them with compost halfway out from the trunk to the drip line and just do a couple circles around that area and feed the soil and see if that helps. But beyond that, there's not too much you can do. Okay. Well, it, it sounds like we're replacing trees. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. <laughs> yeah, that's the unfortunate thing. When you get a tree that large, it's got such an extensive root system, figure out above the ground growth is equal. The root system's pretty much equal. And if anything's happened to impact one or the other, then uh, it kind of could lead to, besides an aging factor, just a downhill slide. So. Okay, well, I thank you for your help. Sure, my pleasure. And okay, bye-bye. And let's get another call in. Let's go to Crystal's. Hi, Crystal. Uh, good morning, Mike. Hi. I wanted to ask you a question. You, I heard you mention, or somebody mentioned the word lichens, and it, it lit a little light in me, and I thought, I'm going to call Mike about my question. Um, it's about mold. You might not have an answer about it. But this past week, I was visiting um, our family cemetery plots, putting plants on them, mm -hmm. or uh, florals arrangements. And I've always wondered, why is the, there something black grows on tombstones? Hello? Yes. Do you, know, do you know what that is, or have you ever heard of that? Well, see, I mean, it, it has to be related to what particular type of stone that particular t uh, t tombstone well, I'm, is. Well, what I'm speaking of is the, 
red granite, and it's smooth. It's on the smooth part. It's not on the dull part. Well, it's on that, too, but I'm talking about on the face of the stone. Right. My guess is when the uh, the people that take care of the cemetery do, let's say, mowing grass, and they do weeding around the actual tombstones, they're throwing some debris up onto the tombstones, you know. Yes. And so consequently, that debris is sticks. And then that is what this mold is growing on. That That's would be my it, guess. You're sh- oh, really? I never thought of that. I never thought of that. And and uh, lichens, is that the way lichens gets on it too? No, lichens won't grow. Lichens mainly grow on tree trunks and branches. And Well, you know, I know, on, but we've seen some on tombstones. Oh, really? Yes. Usually, uh, that's usually more on the of li- the limestone. Yes, uh, exactly. Type. On the limestone. Then yeah, that's kind of the same circumstance. But the limestone kind of is just that you know kind of ideal environment for it. But the debris has to hit you know with that particular thing sort of inject you know gets stuck onto the actual tombstone. But there's maybe, nothing you can get it off with, is there? Uh, I would say just take some vinegar, vinegar, and you know a sponge or. A, and just wipe it off with vinegar. Oh, well, I'll certainly try that. But, uh, I mean, you can't even feel it. All you do is see it. <laughs> well, that's I'm not, pretty. I'm not lying. I mean, yeah. I'm telling, uh, that's what, you can't, you can't peel it off. You can't feel it. It's on the smooth, beautiful part right. of our tombstones. Well, I would say just. And, and our tombstone is 50 years old. Well, I'm talking about my grandparents. Right. It's 50 years old. And it just started. Right. So it's just the environment and everything else. But just take a you know, sponge and a, you know, a bowl and some vinegar with you and just wipe the vinegar on it. Okay. Well, I'll, I, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. And I thank you for serving also. <laughs> well, I live in St. Charles. Come to our house. Ninth <laughs> <laughs> and Monroe. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and we're headed to Dave's yard. Hi, Dave. Hi, Mike. Um, can you give me a recommendation on the type of hydrangeas that are best to plant in this area? Uh, I like the ones that are the reblooming, if possible. Uh, basically, then forever ones. Those are the ones that are re, you know the rebloomers during the summertime. That'd probably be. I would take a look at those. Is that like forever summer forever or something like that? Yeah, it's just basically you go to your favorite garden center and tell them you want the forever hydrangea, and they'll show you the varieties they have. Okay, but the varieties with are the colors or whatever within those is about the same from each other, right? Yeah, pretty much. There is a little bit of, I mean, there's some lime green ones and there's some some various colors, but for the most part, I'd stick, you know, unless you're just really wanting a color extremely, you know, for whatever reason, I'd stick with whites. With white. Yeah. Okay. That's the toughest. It's going to be more durable because they start adding more hybrids, you know, let's say genetic hybrid, you know, changes, and that kind of can reduce some of the, let's say, toughness of the individual shrubs as opposed to just kind of just going with white. But if you see colors you like and the nursery assures you that they should be okay, then that should be fine. Okay. I had had some of those um, 
they were pink, I think, and they were gorgeous for several years, and then they just stopped blooming. Right. And I don't know if the hybrids only have a certain life to them as far as the bloom, or, or, or if that was just something. I also have a lot of liriope planted around them, and I think it was kind of starting to crowd in on them. I don't know if that caused a problem. No, that's not a problem. Okay. So, you know, other tree uh, tree roots or something like that could be problematic, but liriope roots, no, that's not going to impact, you know, the flowering or anything else or the overall okay. health. Okay. And one other question I have is I planted a couple of Hicks U's in a little less than a year ago to fill in where I had a kind of a hedge. And the ones that I've planted are starting to get yellow needles kind of down at the bottom. I've tried to keep them watered without overwatering them, but I don't know what might be driving that. The other ones don't seem to be getting a yellow lead or the, yellow needles. Yeah, the yellow needles basically at the bottom means that you know when you planted it, maybe it's sunk a little bit, and there might be a puddle because that's an overwatering circumstance. Overwatering. Okay. Yeah. So unless we have extended periods of you know no rain or anything else, don't do any additional watering after the first let's say, you know, six or eight weeks of them being installed. Okay. Okay. Very good. Thanks for your help. I always appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's head over to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Yeah, hello. Hi. Yeah, yeah. I've got a question about uh, grass identification. I've got a yard that's got a Duke's mixture of uh, zoysia. I'm guessing it's bluegrass and uh, rye and fescue. Wow. Uh, the tufts of grass, they look like little tufts, of, and they're real forest green. Is that the uh, fescue? Well, it could be that, but it also could be the annual bluegrass. So if oh. it's like a little clump that you know, has, looks, looks, looks right now that it, like it has seeds on it. Uh, no, no seeds, just a re- it's darker green than the rest of the yard. Okay, then it could be a fescue, but generally the things that are going to be the darker green is going to be the bluegrasses. Okay. But the bluegrass grows, you know, on rhizomes like a more or less a carpet, and the fescue will grow close to each other, but it is more of a clump-type grower. Got it. Well, I've got an area in the front of the house. The house shades a portion, and the, the bad portion is almost this shape of the shade of the front yard right and earlier this year it looked dead looked desolate i've tried zoysia i've got some uh, uh, rye and fescue blend uh, seed in there now and that's coming up uh so which one should i if i just go buy one type of seed uh, give me a give me a guess, Mike. I would say in this type of circumstance that you're sort of describing, you're not going to have a successful lawn in this area regardless of what you plant. Even a shady spot mix is going to have to be, you're going to have to really plan on every May and every September just putting additional seed in the spot with the idea that, it, you know, the plants are, the seed's going to germinate, the seeds that will, you know, the blades will live for a few years, and then they're going to go downhill. It's just... Shade and lawns just don't go together well. Yeah, once it starts growing, I mean, it grows up onto the sidewalk, and we have to use the edger to, to cut that back, and it grows crazy, but then uh, it just goes away. Exactly. That's because of the shade. Okay, so just plan on spending a couple bucks on seed every spring and every not worry fall. about it. Huh? Right, exactly. <laughs> okay, There's no my... getting around it. So, in other words, you're just re- sort of reviving it as, you know, with, with some new seed. 
All right, thanks, Mike. And now let's go to Terry's yard. Hi, Terry. Hi, Mike. Happy Hi. anniversary, oh. and uh, thank you for your service to yeah, our sure. country. Um, I have a question about the bare spots in the center of pampas grass. Can I can I amend that soil and replant like from the outer ring? into the center again or is it just dead or what is it that's basically they're clump growers so in other words the center of the you know as it ages is going to die out you'll never get any new growth in there at all you're going to get new growth on the perimeter so but what can you have I to plant anything there then or is it just <laughs> not really uh it's just i mean it's what you need to do is just you know every x amount of years whenever you want to dig up the whole clump Chop out the center that doesn't have any viable new blades in it, and then just replant it with uh, some of the perimeter stuff, you know, back in the center. Huh. Okay. So there's no, there's nothing you can do to prevent that from happening. It's just the natural habit of the genetics on how it grows. Okay, but and if I um, if I dig up some of the outer ring and plant it somewhere else, it'll start a new clump. I guess. Yeah, it should. Uh, yes. Okay. So just uh, okay. make sure if you're going to do it, do it. I mean, it's already starting to push out some new growth, so you're going to have to do it pretty quickly. Okay. All right. That sounds great. All right. Thank you. Yeah, that's the unfortunate thing with the uh, the ornamental grasses is certain varieties, the majority of the varieties that uh, most of us, the maiden grass is a pamp grass, pampas grass, the center just dies out, and there's nothing can be done whether it's at the Botanical Garden or in your yard, Terry, or anything else. So, so do they just leave a big old bare spot no, there? No, they or? actually do, basically dig them up every X amount of years, oh, chop okay. the dead part yeah. out of the center, and just re, you know chop, the let's say, the perimeter edges into pieces and then put it back in that location. Okay. Okay. Well, that sounds like a lot of work. Yes. All right. Thank you. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it really is. So, uh, well, thanks, Terry. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. That's the you know, the unfortunate thing with the ornamental grasses is people think uh, they're low care and they are low care. But uh, f- from an aesthetic standpoint, as time goes on, they kind of lose some of the aesthetic value. Now, if you don't look in the center, you don't know it's going to happen. But the clump will just get bigger and bigger. And then finally, you're going to start s- seeing the center that has no viable or green or whatever variegated foliage in there. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. All right, here we go. Let's head over to Denny's yard. Hi, Denny. Hi. Hi. Um, Is this, am I ready? As far as I know. (laughs) Okay. Um, I, I have two questions. One is I had always wanted to have a pink poppy in my garden. And I ordered, they sent seeds, and they look like the size of pepper. Um, and I, I just want to know how to plant them, not too high, not too low. I know they need quite a bit of sun. I've got one area that's part sun and part shade. Uh, so can you give me some, some advice on uh, how to make my pink poppy actually flower from those little seeds? <laughs> Good luck. But basically what you need to do is get the area all worked up, you know, well-drained, full sun like you know, and just take the seeds and just sprinkle them on the top of the ground and just pat them in a little bit and water them. Oh, okay. So you don't have to. If you wanted to, you could start them in a pot with a, a potting mix for starting plant material and then make sure that they're germinating. 
and then you could transplant them out that way. But probably if I was you, and pink poppies are not going to be all that really good for here. None of the poppies really do great. Some of the orange ones are okay, but the poppies in this metropolitan area don't get along all that well. Why is that? It's just the weather. They just don't like it here. You go to California and stuff, you see big valleys of them or other places. But uh, here, you're not going to see. If Even if you look at the Missouri Botanical Garden, go to mobot.org and you know put in poppies on taking care of them. But when you go to the Botanical Garden, you're not going to see big beds of poppies. Okay. Um, is it the co- cooler uh, weather in California? Or do we get too hot? It's a combination because we go, like I said, last week on Wednesday or Tuesday, it was basically below freezing. Now this upcoming Wednesday or Tuesday, it's going to be 80 degrees. So that's 50 degrees change in less than, in basically a week. The yes. plant material can't handle that. Okay. My other question is, I, I put preen down. Uh, first, I put mulch down, and then I put preen on top of that. And I know I want to plant my annuals now. Is that going to be a huge problem? No, only if you're trying to grow annuals from seed, then it no. will be a problem. But if it's from plants, then it won't be. I'm preen so glad is, to hear that. <laughs> preen kills things as it germinates from seed. Okay. That, I'm so glad to hear that. Well, thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. And Bye-bye. Yeah. Good. I mean, it's nice to like a plant material, but I'd say just take get some pictures or something because you're not going to have much luck with them. Let's head now over to Jerry's yard in Spanish Lake. Hi, Jerry. Yes. Uh, what I had a question about is um, I have a clematis, and it's planted on the edge of my house, and there's a big oak tree. Does a clematis need to be in the sun? All the time. And then I have a second question. Okay. For the most part, clematis like full sun all day long, every day. And also clematis like an alkaline soil. And basically the oak tree, the leaves, and all that other stuff are kind of acidic. So it's not only, you know, the fact that the proximity of the shade and everything else, but also the soil factor of the leaves from the oak tree falling and everything else is kind of contrary to what the clematis want. So... Can I move it at this time, or is it too late to move it? Uh, is it I'm assuming the foliage is already show, you know, showing growth, right? Yes. Uh, I would say probably I'd go ahead and move it as soon as you possibly can, and uh, just make sure you get into a full sun and don't put it uh, you know, in a circumstance. And when you mix up the soil, it's got to be well-drained soil, and uh, just kind of keep your fingers crossed. Okay. Also, um, if I want to have my soil checked, how do I go about doing that? Do I need to go certain depth, you know, to get enough soil out? And I have a vegetable garden in the backyard, so do I need to take it from several spots in the yard? Yeah, you need to take, if you want to find out what's going on in your vegetable garden, take a soil sample from that area and then, you know, from other parts of your landscape. So just go, to, again, go to the University of Missouri Extension Service, and they'll tell you how to take a sample you know, what to do, put it in a Ziploc bag, and then you can either send it in or you can take it down to Kirkwood, and there's an office in Kirkwood near the train station where you can drop them off. Okay. Thank you very much, Mike. I really like your show. Yeah, well, my pleasure. Yeah, the soil, you know, knowing what's going on in your soil is really very, very important as far as fertilizing and everything else. Let's go now to Sunset Hills and into John's yard. Hi, John. Hello, Mike. How are you doing today? Very good. 
Hey, uh, question about gardening. Uh, every fall, I uh, mulch in my garden. I till in uh, leaves from the trees. Uh, and I've been doing that for a couple of years. And uh, is that a good thing, or am I getting too uh, acidity? Well, it all depends on what type of leaves. But uh, generally, just putting, you know, working leaves into the ground is sometimes that could be problematic from a fungus mold standpoint if they haven't been composted. So Okay, but, yeah, they're just shredded. Yeah. So, I okay, mean, and then, uh, so I wouldn't want to do that in the springtime when I uh, till my garden, would I? Uh, no. Basically, I would say just make a compost pile, you know, go online, mobot.org or whatever, and look and see what you need to do. I mean, you can get a compost bin, you can get a compost barrel, and just compost them before you put them into the ground. Okay, but I can amend my soil uh, in the spring when I uh, till my garden yes. with compost, though. Right, exactly. Okay. And you're going to mix um, it into the existing soil. Right, right. Okay, and then uh, I called you last week about um, um, uh, um, flowering magnolia, about how to uh, take a stem and, and, and put it in water and dip it in, you said, uh, root uh, hormone. Right. Now, can I do that with a potato? <laughs> Stick it in a potato and bury the potato? Uh, you, pro- you don't need the rooting hormone for a potato. You mean a regular potato that you just bought at the store and try to make, you know, try to grow it? Uh, yeah, I'm talking about that kind of tomato, but I want to take the stem of the uh, flowering magnolia and uh, and stick it in the tomato uh, potato and and bury that. Uh, hmm. I, you ever uh, hear of that? No, I never heard of that one. Okay. Well, I, I guess I'll stick with your original advice and just go get some root hormone for that. Right. Sounds perfect. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah, Bye-bye. sticking something into a potato and then burying the potato. I mean, maybe it works. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Angela, how are you today? I am good, Mike. How are you? Very good. So here's my question. I'm a novice gardener, and I want to plant some wildflowers. And I planted some flowers last season, and nothing came up. I didn't know if I had them deep enough. So I wanted to know, like, what's the process? Well, soil preparation ahead of time would be what the process should be. And that's, okay. you know, if it's just... If it's just hard, compacted soil, then I don't know what kind of wildflowers you're trying to grow or anything else, but it's not going to probably work really all that well. So adding you know, compost to the soil, making the soil well-drained and everything else, get it ready, and then get the wildflowers and plants. So I would spend maybe even a f- the rest of this year kind of getting your soil and your bed ready and have you know, do some planting of the wildflowers in the fall. Okay. Okay. That's disappointing, but okay. So question, so how deep should I plant the seed? Well, the seed, let's put it this way. When these plants are in the wild themselves, they just drop the seeds on top of the ground, correct? Mm-hmm. So that's what you need to do, but just, you know, pad them in a little bit more, and that's really what you should do. Planting the seeds deep is not what you really want to do. Because it's, okay. sometimes it's too deep, and they just rot before they can even do anything. Maybe that's what I did wrong. Okay. Is there something I can plant now? So I. Well, I mean, go to your favorite garden center. They all have wild flowers. Maybe just get a few so you can <sighs> breathe a sigh of relief and say, see, I got some success here, and go. And then you, in the future, you can start adding seeds around them, but uh, have some plants there so you can, you know, 
basically pay yourself aesthetically. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it, and thank you again for your service for our country. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, growing things from seed is not all that easy. And again, planting seed deep is just, you know, I mean, that just doesn't is not the best thing to do. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, back to the phones, and we're headed into Ted's yard. Hi, Ted. Hello, good morning. Um, Colin, I have some liriope, and it just spread like crazy, and I just need to get rid of it. And I was wondering a couple things. One is what's the best way to remove it and, uh, I guess, kill it. And then what about the root system? And then lastly, what? how long before I can replant in that area then? Uh, basically, if you're, are you opposed to herbicides? No, I'm not. Okay, then Roundup is going to be the best thing to do to kill it. Okay. Should I cut the heads of everything off first? Or? Well, if you want to, you just mow over it, and that opens up the wounds. That'll get the Roundup in there quicker. Roundup is, will go down and kill the root system out, too. Just, you know, be patient and maybe just let it, you know, leave it alone for at least two weeks. Probably a month would be better. And then you're probably only going to really get rid of, let's say, 80 to 90 percent of it. And then there'll probably be 10 percent that come back to haunt you a little bit and then go after the individual little clumps. Okay, probably a weed whacker. It's in a planting area. It's it's raised up. But, yeah, okay. it's kind of the same idea then. So, right, okay. exactly. And so then just wait until it quits growing back before I can uh, replant something there? Right, exactly. And then you're going to have to work the soil up before you put anything else in there, too. So okay. either okay, now the th- there's a liriope that doesn't spread, isn't there? Yes, there is. I mean, there's okay. a clump grower. Okay. So I'll this, you got liriope spicata. And okay. if you want the clump grower, it's liriope muscari. Muscari? Yeah, M-U-S-C-A-R-I. Okay, great. Okay, Mike, thank you for your information as always. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go from Ted's to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Oh, hey, hey, Mike, how you doing? Good. Good. Uh, real quick, um, this year, uh, being I'm working from home from this pandemic, I've been able to uh, start a whole bunch of plants in, like, cow pots in my basement. Ah. And, you know, be able to tend them. But what I've noticed is, and I, I've, I've kind of Googled some things here and tried to, I, I've noticed a green, uh, I don't know if it's algae or a fungus or, or uh, growing on top of a lot of them. I'm assuming it's because the soil's consistently moist. Right. But what I read was it's nothing to worry about. And actually you could sprinkle like ground cinnamon on it to to eliminate it. I, what's your what's your take on that? Uh, it's or really advice? nothing to worry about. But what you can do is just take like a, a fork or something, and just stir the surface up. You know, putting oh. cinnamon on it. I know. I don't know about putting cinnamon on it. Have you ever heard that? I, no. I, I, <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So I've been wasting cinnamon for the last week. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and just kind of like a, a couple two. I, I'm in the central New Jersey area, and um, just I, I've been listening to you for about a year, and uh, a couple of like common practices. Uh, that um, I've, I've noticed around here. I just want your kind of opinion on this. I think I've heard it, but I just want to kind of validate it. But I've noticed a lot of so-called professional landscapers love to mound the, the, the mulch around like a tree. Right. Um, uh, I've I, I, I read before I even heard you. I've read that that's not good. That it, you know, it, 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 you know, the tree is not made for that kind of. Uh, possible invasion by bugs into the base of the trunk. Um, but, you know, these guys are professionals. It's amazing. I see these guys, you know, with the big trucks in front that, you know, advertise their 
you know, their their company, right. and then they're mouthing these things like like I would say three or four feet high. What? Oh, uh, and ridiculous. the other thing, yeah, I mean, the other, and this is like in a parking lot, like you know, in a, in a you know, where the 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 realtors or the people on the, the uh, plaza, you know, pay these people. And I've seen, especially, I've seen a, a, a grove of trees die that they've done this to. So, um, you know, I can get your opinion on that and hang up. But the other opinion was, you know, being in Central Jersey, I travel up and down the Garden State Parkway quite regularly. And I see, you know, in a span of about six, seven miles, I see four or five quite large bamboo groves growing along the side. Right. And I'm not a big fan of uh, non-native species. I don't know if I've heard you speak too much about how we need to be careful about letting these things take over because, you know, we just have all these non-native stuff coming into this country. Like even like when you go back to the starlings invading our country, you know, when you invite non-natives into a country, I think, I don't know if it's inevitable, but I don't know what your opinion is on that. Well, bamboo is very invasive. There's no getting around it. So, yeah, you know, putting something like that and, you know, piling any kind of mulch or anything up on the trunk of a tree is not right. So what they, you know, what they need to do is make it like a bagel. So around the trunk, there's no mulch up on the trunk, but they can have a ring of the mulch around it to, you know, as a weed preventative or whatever. But, uh, yeah, the bamboo is extremely invasive and it can be really problematic. So, well, thanks, Jim. Thank you, Mike. Yep. And uh, let's see. Ruth, can you do it really quickly? Yes, I have a pine tree in my backyard. It's some kind of a bushy pine. The needles are more flat than round, and it's about 12 feet tall. But starting last year, uh, I know they lose needles, but this is about over halfway up. It's just turning brown. Now, the top of it is doing very well. It's come out and growing, but it seems to be progressing worse. Is there anything I can do to try to stop this? Basically not. It sounds like it's too wet, usually when things die from the bottom up. But also it might be just the over the branches on the top are overshadowing the lower branches, so the tree might be compartmentalizing it. So it might be just a natural you know, pattern or habit. But no, there's nothing you can do physically or anything else. Hmm. Yeah, it's, as I said, about 12 feet tall, and it's probably about six or seven years old. Right. And it had been green, uh, green all the way down. But, uh, as I said, it just seems to get progressively worse, and I was afraid it was dying. Yeah, I don't think it is if it's just a bottom up. But anyway, thanks, Ruth, and sorry, Peggy and Barb, Kenny and Matt. We can't get to you. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.